0: God bless you. What a great joy it is for me to share with my family here at Harvard and with and in the presence and aura of all of those who stood in this place before me. Jesus at Nazareth. I love this passage of scripture, because it lifts up the fact that Jesus had a family. Who is this man, someone said, who has gained the reputation of doing great miracles throughout the land? Is not this Mary's boy, the brother of Judas and Simon and James and Joseph? And not only the brother, but, or the brothers, but he has sisters. I always struggle with the fact that they don't get names. But the passage says, are not his sisters also with us? Is not he the son of Mary and Joseph? Where did he get all of this reputation? and they took offense at him. Jesus said something that we've heard said in many ways since that time. A prophet is without honor in his own country and in his own house. The absence of affirmation and welcome and hospitality still hinders the power of God and good In our communities. I want to talk a little bit about radical hospitality. Seems at times we are more generous with acceptance and affirmation when a person is a stranger. Now I'm hoping of course that you'll heap that on me today because this is my my first time in this particular pulpit. It seems where there is a stranger who has no long-term obligation, we can briefly show them our good side and move on. I call it theological speed dating. Jesus could not do his work in the presence of a diminished perception from those who knew him very well. A diminished perception from those who knew him very well. Diminished perception often is the first feeling that we get about a person who is perhaps doing something that is spiritual or theological in our midst. And there are externals that give us a diminished perception. Sometimes I watch the sports on television and sometimes I watch prize fights. I know some of you all don't do that, but every so often I'll watch a good fight on television. And there's something in me that chooses who I want to win. I don't know the people. I don't have any particular reason to like one more than the other. But some sort of internal indicator in me decides who should win the fight. And once I decide who should win or what team should win the basketball game or should win, a football game or whatever, then I start actively wishing that they'll win. And I've spent some time trying to examine that thing in me. Something about it. Either the the opponent that I'm not really wishing will win is a little cocky, or they uh, appear to be too self-assured, or there's something about it. I don't like the color of their boxing trunks or something. There's something about it. It just doesn't work for me. But, but I have found that this preconceived notion that carries with it a diminished perception happened in the case of Jesus and the population in Nazareth because they knew him well. And I'd like to push the envelope a little further and say they also knew that he knew them well. They knew him, but they did not respect his call. Essentially, he was diminished by his humanity. I remember when I was teaching a class at Pacific School of Religion, and part of what we had to do was some field education associated with that, and I took the folks out to one of our houses that provided housing for women who are recovering from substance abuse and also women who were living with HIV. And it was a brother from Singapore who came to me and said, I understand, and I'll try to use my best Singaporean accent today. He said, I understand that you are a Pentecostal. I said, well, yes, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. He said, well, sister, I want to speak in tongues and have divine healing. He said, you Pentecostals do that. That's what he said to me. And so he suspected that I was going to pray for him and he would come from that prayer service speaking in tongues and having divine healing. So I did pray for him and prayed the desire that he had in his heart and so a few days further down in the week I came back to our house it was called Restoration House and Shirley my partner of 31 years was the procurement officer for that program And she came in and visited, and I introduced her as my partner. He said, oh, God. He said, your business partner. I said, no, sir, (laughs) my partner partner. He says, as in partner partner? I said, yes, as in partner partner. Then he said again, oh, God. He said, but you prayed for me. I said, yes. He said that I would speak in tongues and have divine healing. I said, yes. And I'm the same person, now that you know I have a partner, (laughs) as I was when you asked me to pray for you. But perhaps you would not have asked me had you known then that Shirley was my partner. For now you have a diminished perception of the call of God in my life. This is what I call the absence of holy hospitality. Informed, relation-based, relational hospitality. And it is the reason why so many of us hide our humanity from one another because we anticipate that if we demonstrate or show our humanity, the people around us will have a diminished perception of our professional selves, of our spiritual selves, and perhaps of our academic selves. Hmm. What about diminished capacity? Hiding our humanity, expending too much energy to prove ourselves to people who by now ought to know who we are. And if nothing more than that, we ought to know how humans are because we are all of us, flesh and spirit. What does diminished hospitality do? What does diminished perception do? It forces the elders sometimes to overreach in an effort to resist the realities of obsolescence and the fear of obsolescence. And it makes me ask, where is the reverent respect that the younger of us ought to have for the more experienced among us? The fear of the presence of diminished hospitality forces young people to find venues that will understand and appreciate their gifts. And it begs a question of the elders, where is the supportive mentorship that will help and guide our youth and young adults. What does this diminished hospitality do? It forces comparison. And this is really the truth, sisters and brothers. Comparison of religion to religion, race to race, nation to nation. Comparison of what is appropriate and inappropriate sexuality and gender expression. Comparison of alma mater, uh <laughs> and of our individual histories and experiences. Essentially, this absence of hospitality that Jesus experienced in Nazareth, among the people that knew him and could not believe he was used to do what he was used to do in other places, It hinders our synergy. What do I mean by that? We are so much more together than we could ever be without one another. Imagine what we could accomplish. (laughs) Imagine what we could do. Imagine how we could impact history if we were together, working together, pulling together, not thinking that we are all the same, but having in so many ways, blended purpose and synergy. But fear, fear makes us somehow lose the importance of closeness and intimacy. Because the imperfections of our stuff, now I may be the only one in the room that has some stuff, but I got some stuff, I want you to know. The imperfection of our stuff gets revealed and exposed the closer we become to one another. But what of this hospitality? Henry Nouwen has a quote that I think is incredibly powerful. He says that hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a place where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. Hospitality among people who know you, hospitality among people who are not afraid to expose, their selves, their real and true selves, reminds me a great deal of home. Home, Nazareth for Jesus. It should have been a place where Jesus was most comfortable and free to be his best and highest self. But it was quite the opposite. I lost my mother in 2007 to lung cancer. And my mother's house was on the way to the airport in San Francisco, so every time I fly, which I do, by the way, almost every week somewhere, I have to pass by the exit that went to my mother's house. My mother's house, when I think about my mom's house, think about myself on my way to Washington, D.C., or to Chicago, or to New York, and I would be in my most professional suited stuff. You know what I mean. I'd have my stuff on because I was going to a power meeting. And I'd pass by my mother's. And my mother's house, mama gave me keys and codes. Everybody know what I'm talking about, right? Keys and codes. I had her front door key. I had her burglar alarm code. I had the key to the back door. Mama put them together on a key ring and she labeled them with little pieces of paper and put tape over the paper so that I would have access. Access and codes mean my mother trusted me. She said to me, the day she gave to me, she said, Yvette, here is the codes and the keys to my house. She also, shortly after that, gave me her bank account numbers and access to her secret file cabinet And she said, I want you to have it because I know you will do the right thing. I cannot begin to tell you how it blessed me to know that my mother believed that I would do the right thing. And when my mother came to die, I had some things I had to do. And I was the trusted child who would do the right thing. And you better believe that I did exactly what mama told me to do. Her trust made me do it. What else about my mama? My mama's house created comfort for me because when I would go to my mother's house on my way to my power meeting, I could undress the part of me that was uncomfortable. Hallelujah. Take off the tight shoes, anybody feel me? Okay, untie the belt, sometimes take off my coat, sometimes take off my pants, (laughs) this is the truth, and sit down on my mama's couch in the family room. You know that kind of couch? This special couch in the family room where you could eat and drop stuff and nobody mind (laughs) that you did. It was the place where you could undress yourself that goes into the world. You could undress without shame. It was the psychic safety of being around someone who knew my 360-degree self, the place where you can let your hair down, where you can tell your truth. And my mama would hear me come in. She'd say, hey. I'd say, hey. She said, I know you're hungry. And I said, yeah, that's right. I'm hungry, she said. Look in the refrigerator. I got some chicken and some greens and some potatoes. And if you look on the top shelf in the back, I have some pound cake. I hid it from your father, because if I didn't, he'll eat all the pound cake. She said, go up there and get it, but make sure he's not in the kitchen when you do it. (laughs) Because home should be a place where our basic human needs are addressed. Where you can hear someone who loves you and is caring for you, but they also know you. And my mother would get up from her bed and she would come and meet me after I'd put my plate in the microwave. And she'd sit down next to me and she would kiss me on the mouth with her morning breath because she was my mama, and we had it like that. And then finally this. My mother would give me what I call wisdom conversation. I would tell her what was, what was the toil and trouble of my soul, and she would draw from her bank of lived experience. She would give me life lessons and how to negotiate people and how to deal with what she called crazy people. You bet I'm going to help you to deal with the crazy people. <laughs> I thank God for even now. And she would say, this is the way people are about this, and this is the way people are about that. But the one thing that she would say to me that I remember more than anything, she would say, when I had a situation like this, I did this or that, but I regret having done this or that. She would be honest with me about some of the things that she'd done that didn't work out well. And I learned more from my mother's honesty about her mistakes than I did from her telling me all of the wonderful outcomes. When she finished sharing with me and I put my power clothes back on, got ready to go and do my work. I felt empowered. I felt covered for the journey. I felt prepared to really go. And then she would give me some food to take. (laughs) She'd give me a couple of chicken legs and a chicken thigh, put them in a Ziploc bag, (laughs) and a piece of pound cake. Now take this with you. You don't want that airport food. Take this with you, you can eat it on the plane. And sure enough, I'd get on the plane, and I'd open up my Ziploc bag, and that smell, fried chicken with garlic. You understand what I mean? And people would sit next to me, full of jealousy. Because they were eating, you know what I mean, cheese and and, and crackers and grapes. And I had fried chicken and pound cake. (laughs) Because I had been richly cared for by the woman who knew me and loved me and provided for me hospitality. Sisters and brothers, there are great gifts sitting on the pews to your right and to your left, in front of you and behind you. Some are younger, some are older, some are of a different race, have a different accent, have had a different experience. But whatever may be the assumed pejorative assumptions that we may have of one another, whatever may may be the diminished capacity that we visit on one another because of some presumption that we have. Let me say to you clearly today that you're seated next to some great gifts. You're seated in front of and behind some incredible men and women, young people all over this place and this campus. We are filled with the call of God to do great and incredible things. If we will not diminish one another, it would be amazing to all of us what our hospitality will bring forth. Will not only bring forth in terms of gifts and skills, but we together can be a prophetic utterance in the world. We have work to do that we cannot do without our synergy without our working together and every one of those encounters prayerfully and hopefully will send us away with a ziploc bag <laughs> full of what is needed to nourish us in this life god bless you is my prayer